In a world where entertainment is randomly scattered across Wikipedia, and no one can be sure of anything. Citation needed! Two men stand alone. They are Ben Graw, I'm Earth's last hope, and Garth Remington. Does it come with a pickle or is that extra? And word on the street is, they're gonna clean up Wikipedia. Yo, I heard word on the street is, they gonna clean up Wikipedia. And while they're fighting a tide of information, their fans are fighting tides of hot girls hitting on them. You listen to Wiki Review? That's hot. But sometimes you have to go off page to get the job done. I got the internet breathing down my neck because you're rogue hot shot rating system! This isn't a podcast. This is the Wiki Review. Are you as insulted as I am right now? I am. He loved playing Hitler. You could see him enjoying it. <laughs> uh, it's a great thing. It'll change your life. Check it out. Hello and welcome to Wiki Review. I'm Ben Graw. I'm Garth Remington. And for those of you who have listened to previous episodes, you might know that I've started going to film school recently. And I have just finished my first semester as film school. And as a person who's finished semester one of film school, I assume I know everything there is to know about film. And I'm going to educate not only you people, but also Garth who's sitting here. Because I believe that you're all novices at this point. So on this episode, we are going to review the Wikipedia page for film. Roll to film, Charlie. Here comes two. All right, now, all right, before we go forward. <laughs> yes, I am now a pretentious film student. I've done one semester, Garth. Wow, that's <laughs> like, that's a half a year. That's not a full year, is it? Yeah, I know about framing, key lighting, all of that stuff. I've framed some pictures. <laughs> I've got some lights. I've changed a light bulb. Listen here, college boy. You think you're better than me? Uh-huh. You come into my house, you turn on my light switches. Oh, wait, this is your house. Never mind, carry on. <laughs> so, yeah, I have been going to film school recently, and, yeah, I just thought this would be a good subject for us to get in and talk about, because although there is in my intro a lot of tongue-in-cheek of, you know, I don't actually think I'm the shit when it comes to film right now, because I've literally just started. After the first semester, there are some people who are getting there, and a lot of people have gone on to this break going like, yeah, I think I'm going to use this break to make a great film project or something, and I'm interested to see how many people follow through with it when they get back. Remember when we used to be optimistic? I remember believing in things. <laughs> there are some people who I legitimately think will. Oh, that's nice. And I wish are, them well. Yes, and there are other people who won't. And there are some people like myself who are on the line who I also want to make something over this break, but you've worked with me. You know how long it takes. I'll probably let me just getting into motion just as we're going back. Yeah, that's probably what it'll be. How long off do you have? Uh, I only have two weeks, so it's not long. Yeah, nothing's getting done. Nothing's getting done in two weeks. We will plan the heck out of something. We'll pretend we're going to do something. We will find a location. 
on a map. We won't actually go there. We will discuss costumes. At the moment, things have to be ordered online and they take a little longer to get here, I've discovered. Uh, so yeah, you'll have your props arrive about a month after you go back. I mean, we are planning to shoot something soon, like without giving away too much details to the listeners. We're you always know. trying to film stuff. <laughs> yeah. The idea is that we're supposed to be constantly filming things. So when you said that, I assumed like, oh, you've actually got like a big project. Like you've, you've been ambitious. Oh no, no. You know that stuff we said that we were going to do last time? Like now we're actually going to do it is what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, we've still got everything that we mentioned in the time capsule episode. Yeah. We really wrote ourselves a long uh, <laughs> homework list, didn't we? We've gone through and tried to film some of that stuff as we've gone and made a, a couple of little errors. So we're coming back to that. Hey, we're getting some things done. Yeah. But like I said, finished semester one of film school. So <laughs> now you know how to do it. Yeah. Now I know how to do it. And everything. Hey, here's my first question, right? Because we're looking at the Wikipedia page for film yes. and you're talking about film school. Um, So how do you cut up the film? Do you still use scissors or like, how do you develop it? Do you have a dark room that you use? Like, are you proficient with the chemicals now? No, I use the razor blade tool in Adobe. Ah, so no actual film is touched. No, there's no film in film anymore. It's all digital. So, so I'm in a digital school. You see the whole point that I'm trying to point out here. You, we're looking at film. You're talking about how you know everything about film. This isn't <laughs> film. Don't get me on a technicality here. Yeah, okay, listen here, digital recording boy. <laughs> everything is digital. Even this that we're recording right now, all digital. It used to be on tape. Yeah, but I'm not bragging about being a film star. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you're in the movies, boy. And that's true, though, actually. If you said we're going to go down and tape an episode of Wiki Review, I would probably be like, what the hell are you talking about? You recorded. It's digital. There is no tape. In fact, you have said that to me on many occasions. So I don't know. What would you call it then? If I'm not going to film school, I'm going to recording school? Uh, visual school? Uh, digital video recording? When I hear video, I think of VHS. Like yeah, like a, a videotape. Yeah, but that's not necessarily... That's a videotape. That is a tape. But What's a the difference between tape and film? Is it the same thing? Because there's a VHS tape with that because it's a film it's a roll of film with a camera but it's a tape if it's a vhs what are those spools because it comes on a roll but a tape is like two spools i guess that's the difference <laughs> someone did ask i saw this on a facebook post and i didn't actually read the you know when you just read the title and you go oh, i wonder what the answer to that is keep scrolling don't really care what's the difference between a film and a movie when i hear movie i think that started from like at the beginning of films you know how they have talkies well before talkies there were movies because it's like a photo, but it moves. It's a movie. Or as they say in The Last Airbender, a mover. As far as I can tell, a film is just a good movie. Okay, whereas I think film means that they're actually describing the physical product, the film. It's on film. This is film. That's the problem in this industry. There's too many, like, double uses of words. They Mo really should have stopped calling it film. It's like calling a CD a record. Though I do remember that used to confuse my mum when I would say, like, I'd get a CD and say I'm getting an album. And to her, an album was a record. They're all albums. Now albums exist in like microchips and stuff, right? Not that's even it. that. It's all on the cloud. Yeah. Everything's that, clouded. But that's a microchip somewhere. Yeah, because you got to think like even the people listening to this podcast, it doesn't literally exist anywhere. Well, they might have it saved in their phone. Yeah, but then it's just like a well, digital copy on there. That's true. It's not a physical thing. But then a CD is also a digital copy, so. But there's a physical thing that it's attached to. That's true. It, the episode they're listening to does not come with that little booklet, yeah. which you open it up and has some artwork. I'm 
miss those booklets. I used to love those. That was part of the fun of buying a CD is you take out the little booklet and sometimes there's the lyrics to the song in there. I have recently, because I'm going to be moving house soon, uh, downsizing, and I have an incredible DVD and CD collection because that's where I live. (laughs) And it takes up a lot of space. A lot of space. Imagine Xbox games, PlayStation 2 games. I'm not ready to let go. Some of those are brilliant. And I've also got a whole lot of movies. Just recently, I got four in total CD cases. They each hold 520 CDs each. (laughs) And I have gone through and I have removed all my movies from all those cases and I have thrown away the cases. Oh, wow. That would have been a big thing for you. Yeah, you you understand. This is hoarding and old technology together. This is my wheelhouse. Because you can't even get those anymore. Yeah, it's not a thing. But I realized I don't need them. But as I'm throwing them away, I'd find stuff like this is the last time I'm going to look at what's in the case. And some of them come with like a little booklet, like Ninja Scroll, which is an anime. I've never read it before. Now, because I'm going to throw it away, I must read the little booklet. I never cared about it in the last 10 years I had access to it. Why didn't you just keep the little booklets? Where was I going to keep it? Just put them on a little bookshelf or something. Yeah, then the whole six cycle starts again. <laughs> I'm trying you to just... downsize. Ben, I'm trying not to hoard here. Stop suggesting that I need <laughs> things. I'm already feeling hard about throwing this away and now you're making me think, damn it, maybe I should have kept the booklets. Exactly. I've got to go home and dig through my wheelie bin. You're making my life hard. <laughs> okay, I'll take the hint. I'll shut up. Okay. But then on the other side, I get to the Xbox games. Now I've thrown away a lot of these movie booklets and also had, you know, oh, one last look at the artwork on it. I got to the Xbox games and I've kept all the manuals. I can see the logic in that though. The manual you might actually need. But this is where I've sort of compromised with myself because the manuals that I've kept for all of them, because I just have to indiscriminately keep it. So there are games that I've played for years. I know every button. I know everything in the game back. I've completed these games and I know everything about it. Got to keep the manual. I mean, you could technically, if you needed to know something about the game, Google it and the manuals are all online. And that's the funny thing. As you go through, these are like Xbox 360 games. And as you go through, the first ones have these big, thick manuals. And as you get towards the later games, they're just like one little pamphlet that says, hey, by the way, just go on online if you didn't know that. (laughs) You know the name of this? Yeah, you can find it. Well, it's like I have a filing cabinet, which these days, by definition, anything you have in a filing cabinet is redundant because you can keep it online. And one of the things that I do have in there is every manual to everything I have bought. Oh, wow. I just chuck it in there. Every time we buy a product, I just put it in there. And there are manuals to things that have not worked for years so much that I've thrown them away, bought replacements, and the replacement has broken. And I still have the (laughs) manual. I have a manual in there to the CD player for my first car. Wow. That is like the most useless manual. But if someone had that CD player in their car and they didn't have access to the internet and they did for some reason have access to your filing cabinet, which I'm assuming is right next to your computer that's linked up to the internet and that internet connection for some reason still didn't work and they knew that your filing cabinet had it in, then that would be really handy. If someone had that CD player and it wasn't working, I'd say, I know the problem. The thing's about 20 years old. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be amazed it lasted this long. Like you should really count your lucky stars and to replace it's like what, 10 bucks, five bucks. I mean, that thing was on clearance when I bought it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I got the cheap one. I did find that when, oh, this was years ago, I bought a DVD that turned out it was like multi-regional. It was like a foreign one. So I couldn't watch it on my DVD player. So I went to the JB Hi-Fi to get one that could. I went, how do I get multi-regional? And they went, oh, just get the cheap one. I was expecting you had to get like this really fancy thing that goes multi-regional. It cost me 40 bucks for a DVD player and it just plays all regions. They don't care. Yeah, I remember that when DVD players first started becoming cheap. Crazy Clark's had the best DVD player. Isn't that insane to think about? That's crazy, Clark. Because not only was it region free, it played all sorts of like weird formats. Like you could have DivX or MPEG or any of the formats that were going around at that time would play on this DVD player. And no other DVD player did it on the market except for this $40 one from Crazy Clark. Why is it that way? Like why do the expensive ones have such restrictions and stuff? I'm guessing because they were made legitimately. Like the Crazy Clark's one, like you know a five-year-old's fingers touched that. <laughs> Definitely. You know he didn't go home to a good house. You know that his parents every day send him out there while they hunted for rats for dinner. <laughs> yeah. A lot of tears and shame and heartache went into you getting that $40 DVD player. I mean, it was when they started cracking down on sweatshops, you did notice Crazy Clark's disappeared. That's true. I never made that correlation, <laughs> but that's perfectly true. They were never exposed for it, but I mean, come on. Look how cheap all that stuff was. Well, they bought from the wholesalers who bought from the, their hands are free of blood by like two degrees of separation. They didn't own the factory and they didn't buy it from the factory. They bought it from the guy who bought it from the factory. And if you really want to get into someone, uh, Bunnings. And, oh, sorry, Super Cheap. Bunnings <laughs> is probably just as bad. Super Cheap Auto. Their whole business model was we buy Chinese stuff and then we put an Australian packaging on it. Oh, wow. That is the entire Super Cheap Auto's business model. That's how they do things. Because you see it, you see the Chinese writing, you go, oh, that's cheap. You see Australian writing, you go, oh, it must be a quality product. If we put a kangaroo on it, it implies that it was made in Australia without ever saying it. Yeah, even though it's kind of a Chinese-looking kangaroo for some reason. <laughs> like, their interpretation of a kangaroo. But you're speaking of the filing cabinet, because I also have a filing cabinet, and I'm trying to downsize. So, just yesterday, went through the pile. Now, it's a two-level filing cabinet. It's pretty big. One half is my records, and the other half is comedy papers. <laughs> That's just a mess of, like, things written on loose-leaf paper, isn't it? Yes. That is exactly <laughs> the perfect... Not just... I've seen your writing style when it comes to, like, stand-up and stuff like that. You just write things on pieces of paper and jam it in a drawer. I know you're that guy. This isn't the only drawer, but this is my biggest drawer. <laughs> so I have been going through, because I just need to throw them away. I'm nearly done with the drawer of comedy. And this is stuff going back to when I was a teenager. This is, like, 20 years worth of notes. Do you have the same thing that I had when I was doing stand-up, where you would write a joke down on a piece of paper, but you wouldn't write the full joke. You'd just write something to remind you. And then you'd put it down somewhere, pick it up six months later, look at it and go, what the hell was I even thinking with this? I don't know this joke. This has been an ongoing, because I have set lists. My favorite one from that, it's just a note, a little tiny piece of paper that just said, revolving door abortion clinic. <laughs> What's the joke? I still don't know. Probably funny at the time. That's, yeah, I have no idea. I have found set lists with jokes I do not know on them. Huh. And I found multiple set lists with that same joke written on it. So I didn't just do it one time flippantly. This was in the act. 
and I have no idea what the joke is. I know there was someone who would come up to me, another comedian, who said like, oh, I really like that joke that you said about the Olsen twins. And for the life of me, I can never remember ever <laughs> saying on stage live anything about the Olsen twins. I don't even have a joke about the Olsen twins. I even like when I heard it, I was like, that's an obscure reference. What did I say? Wow. You sure it was me? <laughs> that's Are what you... I think. It had to be someone else, right? It has but... to be a mistake. Yeah. But it's hilarious because you go through it and some of it, it's like, what is this shit? Because it's just every like indiscriminate thoughts written down. If you know anything about writing comedy, you don't filter at the beginning. You write stuff down. You go, hey, that's an idea. You write it down. And then you come back to it later and go, what was I thinking? But this is a drawer full of things that never got returned to. So you go like, oh, that's stupid. That's not even funny. Oh, that is so outdated. I can't use that ever again. That person's no longer alive. And then I get to one that's just like a gem. And you're like, wow, this never made it out of the drawer. This is why I do this. And then back to, oh, that's horrible. Oh, that's embarrassing. I like the idea of you like flicking through your jokes and being like John Howard something and go, wow, that's probably not going to work. Yeah, that's <laughs> probably not going to make it anymore. I had a really great joke and it was a political joke. The only political joke I ever did that I liked and it was, I think, 2010-ish, 2009-ish when there was like a really split parliament and federal parliament. There were four independents came out. Who was the prime minister at the time? Was that Rudd? Uh, I, I honestly don't remember what happened. Yeah, I think Rudd ended up being prime minister because it was really close and then there were four independents who were going to decide the fate of everything. Yes, no, that was Gillard and Tony Abbott. Wow, look at you knowing this. Like, let's all just stop for a second <laughs> to appreciate. Like, that was, I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you took the time to because that's never going to happen again. I know. Let's <laughs> just sit in this, bask in this for a second here, dude, because I did not expect you to say that. <laughs> like, wow. No, really I do, cool. I do remember the election well. Yeah, that was around the time we got the 900 bucks. And then, so there were four independents and I made a joke about how it's like, we're going to be run by the A-team. <laughs> and what was the country guy? who he Bob had, Catter. Yeah, Bob Catter is B.A. Baracus. <laughs> I ain't getting on no plane. I could see that too with these cowboy hats. And I remember performing that at the Albion because there was only a small amount of time that that actually existed. Eventually yeah, that joke all... would have been hysterical for like a month or two. <laughs> Literally a month or two. And then that's it because then they all ended up joining the parties or whatever. But that night that I performed it... <laughs> And see how I still remember the joke. All I found was politics 18. And I remember the whole joke from it. It's like this weird flashbacks to times on stage that you've completely forgotten about in rooms full of people laughing at something you say. And you go, oh my God, I forgot I said that. I do remember a comedian that I'm not going to mention, but probably mostly because I don't remember his name. Fair enough. But you might remember the bit is he had this bit about, oh, it was watching the Pope's funeral. And was it a royal wedding or something like that? It was two, it was two of those events that were played like around the same time and they had like a really good bit that was the comparison to it. And the bit killed. It was really good. But two years after that, they were still trying to use the bit and not getting anywhere Ooh. near as much laughter. And it's like, dude, you had your time. It's gone. Enjoy it, but move on. That's yeah. the end of it. Because I also found, yeah, like a joke I wrote the day Michael Jackson died. And let me tell <laughs> you, hysterical. I was on stage the night Michael Jackson died and it was hysterical. <laughs> I think you just activated Surings. Wow. Because <laughs> I said, seriously? And then you kept talking and I repeat, I hope that mi the microphone picked that up. I don't think it did, but Suri just basically repeated the Verbatim. last part of the podcast that you said. And that's weird because it's only supposed to respond to your voice, isn't it? Yeah, apparently we sound similar. Is that a problem in the podcast then? If any of you listeners have ever had a problem telling who's who. Yeah, just a quick catch up. I'm Ben. I'm Garth. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Are you as insulted as I am right now? I am. Like, Suri should be loyal to me. That's right. Floozy. <laughs>
But yeah, so I've been going through all my all these old jokes that have been buried. Some of this stuff you look at and you go, oh, just get that. I can't even look at it. It actually makes me turn red <laughs> that I wrote it. But then there's the other side of it, which is bringing me back to why I brought this up with, you know, what do you need these files for? The rest is like like tax papers and, yeah, like, you know, superannuation, that kind of bills and stuff. And I had this huge, it was a filing cabinet full of it. And I sat it all down. I went through it. Now I could fit it in like a manila folder. What's actually essential? That's like my theory I said before. Anything in a filing cabinet is useless because yes people have important documents birth certificates all stuff like that all you need is a manila folder that's exactly. all you really need in life for every important paper you have and to top it off I tell the old fella at work about this and he's an old guy and he goes oh I don't even keep a filing cabinet anymore I just scan them and put them up in the cloud and I'm like whoa I just got burnt from a technology <laughs> point of view from like a 60 year old ouch that hurts but my favourite part of this whole going through the historical stuff is you know, whenever I'm in the paper or a magazine or something. Yeah, you try and save the article. So I got some papers there and then I've got like a scene magazine and a rave magazine and I, okay, I'll just flip through it. I don't remember what I was in this. And I flipped through it and then I flipped through it again and again and I realized I'm not in this magazine. Why have I been carrying it around from house to house for the last two decades? <laughs> so you'd always look at it and be like, this is the magazine I'm in. I better hang on to this. <laughs> Never bothered to look inside it or I might have gone, oh, I'll find it some other time. I know I'm in it. Was your name written down somewhere? Would that be it? No. No, I went through it. I'm not in it. I remembered finding a newspaper page that I had that was folded up. Yeah. And it was just like the front page from the newspaper. And I looked through it and I was like, I'm not on this. Why the hell am I keeping this? <laughs> and then I saw like in the featured in there, there was something they were doing on a comedy room that I was in. And me and a group of other comedians are in this really tiny picture where if you have a magnifying glass, you can sort of see me <laughs> or pixels that somewhat resemble me. <laughs> <laughs> Better keep that. When I started, that was a huge deal. It's just like, it I'm is. in the newspaper, look. Mm. Oh, I'm in the free Quest newspaper. <laughs> and it's just some local newspaper. It's not like mm. a big one either. So it's like, I got a small mention in a local newspaper, which I actually don't think is hard. Yeah, no, it's as easy as you just ask them. I don't think Quest actually exists anymore. I don't think you can have a local newspaper anymore, but hey, that was a thing. Yeah, and I think that's why I was in the paper too, is because the person who was organizing the comedy room is the, like actually probably contacted that newspaper and said, hey, do a story about the comedy room. Boom. Which is all those magazine type things are like seen in that. It's just musicians going, please promote me. Is that a good way to promote yourself these days? Should we promote our podcast in a local newspaper? I don't think that's a thing anymore. <laughs> that's such a niche advertising market, especially when it comes to the internet. We'll do very well with a 60 year old market. It's like people in my suburb will start listening to <laughs> Wiki Review. <laughs> it only exists in what a Southeast Brisbane, because it's very specific. It is. It's like such a small demographic that we're hitting with this. Like three suburbs tops. Okay, so that's enough about my rummaging. Let's talk about film. <laughs> yeah, we've caught up now. Let's just do the podcast proper. <laughs> well, they start by saying, and this kind of comes back to what you were saying at the beginning, film also called movie, motion picture, or moving picture. So it can be called many things. But are they synonyms? Well, according to Wikipedia, they are. Okay, then they, it, we have to accept that as truth. <laughs> and we all know that Wikipedia is true 100% of the time. That's what we base this entire <laughs> podcast on. We do understand the premise of our own podcast. Yes, <laughs> it says it there for it is truth as is God. Yeah, I mean, if Wikipedia was ever wrong, then this whole podcast has been a farce. Yeah, a complete waste of time. <laughs> We're not just wasting our time, but all listeners too. So it's a visual art form. And as a first semester graduate, yes, I can confirm it is a visual art form. There is also sound involved though. Oh, well, not necessarily, because it could be a silent film. You're like, Shut up. You're talking <laughs> you about- me look stupid. <laughs> you're talking about speakies. Because they do 
have like a gif down here. Which I've seen that. That's the dude riding the horse, which it's now a gif, which originally that was like a circle that you spin. Yeah. That was the old style gifs. Yeah. <laughs> where well, you spun like a little cylinder. Yeah. Originally, like if you wanted to have a longer called- film, you had to do like a flip book, but this was the original gif. It was a circular box that you had the pictures on the inside and you flick it around and because it's moving uh, around at a certain speed, it looks like the horse is running. Because it's a chronophonograph? Phonographic. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's what it says. I'd just like to say that because it's a picture of a jockey on a horse from 1887, jockey outfits haven't really changed much in the last 150 years. No, they really haven't at all. I mean, that looks exactly the same as what jockeys wear these days. Yeah, like if you were to film a jockey today in black and white, it'd look exactly the same. See, I would have loved to be a filmmaker back then because the annoying thing about being a filmmaker these days is they have already made so many good movies. Like Pulp Fiction exists. I mean, how hard is it to make a movie that's better than Pulp Fiction? That's annoying. <laughs> but when this was the top rated movie, some dude like on a horse, I would have come to you like, Garth, I have this great idea. What if we make a film that just does something? That's a genius idea. Never before done. Well, like, let's have a plot. <laughs> or just how about a dude walking down the street now? There was a time where people go, well, we filmed a train coming to the train station and then leaving. People were like, wow, that's incredible. Let's go watch that. People were really easy to impress back then. I think it's pretty impressive. Like, if a you, train? If I went to a cinema, because you got remember these people didn't watch it at home they had to go to a cinema to watch a five minute movie about a train pulling up yeah but they haven't seen pulp fiction they've got and nothing that's to my com- point they've got nothing to compare it to you're exactly right I mean, like back to the future jurassic park all these like do you reckon they go like oh i don't know i've seen a train in real life and that was a bit more exciting like the book was better <laughs> i don't know as soon as like they put out movies where like hulk is punching big monsters it's just like you can't watch a train pull into a station anymore i reckon it'll come back around yeah you know, fashion's that? cylindrical it'll come back it's seasonal. Right now, it's about like heroes and special effects, but they'll get back down to like the indie nitty gritty. They're going to take away all the unnecessary glitz and glam. It'll just be no costumes, no plot, no sound, no color. It'll just be like a dude with a mustache playing with a walking stick. The one thing I have found out is that you can actually make a career out of making a video where a train pulls into a station and pulls out. Yeah. Because the one thing that I found out that exists, and I I guess I should have known it deep down all the time, but like shooting stock footage, someone has to do that. Like uh, stock photos. We all know about uh, Shutterstock. Yes, there's a video version. And to me, it's just funny that idea of like, what if we started doing filming projects where it's like, no, I just need like 30 seconds of like some people in a boardroom pointing to a chart. Yeah. It's going to be used in one of those Watch Mojo videos eventually. We'll just sell the package to them. I've actually been one of those people in that shoot. Were you doing stock footage or for a specific company? It was stock footage for a specific company. Okay. So they were just going to use it however they want. I have no idea why I was pointing at the laptop, but they could make it anything. Well, this man's a convicted murderer, but he thinks he can get off if he points at a laptop. They could say that. I can't stop them. They have the rights to my likeness. Because I got fascinated with seeing this piece of footage where it had a girl running on a beach with her her mother walking there. Okay. And I was sitting there watching it because it was just being used as stock footage in something while a point was being talked about. Like, someone had to, like, shoot that and then just go like this will work and stuff right yeah and every time someone downloads it they earn money they get royalties essentially royalties on that beach walking running thing I've heard one of the most genius things to do is to get a drone and get like establishing shots of cities because oh. when TV shows and news shows want to use like establishing shots they've got to buy that from somewhere that would be one of the most used things yes now I have also thought because I watch a lot of documentaries and stuff like all you do is you grab a camera and you go out and you film an animal and then you make up a 
story. Animals would be a good one to have stock footage of. Because at first I went, like, wouldn't it be great? You know, you go out in the wilderness and you follow the lions around and then you hopefully don't get eaten, sleep on the ground, don't shower, don't eat. Uh, you know what? This doesn't sound good. And then I realized you could just go in your backyard and film a ladybug. That's true. You get like a good like lens. You can just start like microscope going in onto like microscopic things. Yeah. and Just follow your bugs. cat around. Yeah, I've thought about that, about giving my cat a rival YouTube channel to ours. Oh, it'd win. That's the thing. I wanted to see how badly our cat would beat us. But mind you, if you're looking to make money off stock footage of a cat, you've probably got some stiff competition. That's yeah. a flooded market. They're just giving it away for free. <laughs> Please put my cat in something. See, Mr. Bimbles? See, that's you on the screen. Yeah, there is no shortage of cat owners that want to get their animal in something. Though I don't know if, like, my cat was offered the opportunity to be in, like, a Whiskers commercial. I might be a little jealous of that. I'm like, how did my cat get on television before me? Like, you'd be there going, hey, you know, I'm an actor too. Nobody cares. Do you need me? No, no, we got an animal wrangler. We don't need you. Would someone get him off the set? But how do you think you would feel? You, me, and Hush are just sitting here and we both know that he's the only one of us who's been on television. Yeah. <laughs> that would just add up to me. Like He's that, a more successful actor than you, Garth. That describes my entire life. There's a cat that's more successful than me and I have to sit next to him. The worst part is you'd be looking at him going, damn it, I auditioned for that same part. <laughs> I know. Uh, he went more realistic. I think my problem was I tried to make it like a joke. Like I tried to yuckle it up. He did it straight. Such a method actor. I am a cat. <laughs> I pretended to like the food. I tried to cartoony it up. You know, it's selling stuff. You got to really put yourself out there. You want a personality. I like when the producer turns you down and you're just like, why? And he's like, seriously, Garth, you're not a cat. We told you this all the way through the audition. And I told you, I am a dedicated worker. You need me to work harder, I'll work harder. You need me to be a cat, I'll be a cat, okay? I'm whatever you need. You're a man. I am a man who will be a cat for you. Why does that speech always work in the movies and never for me when I'm trying to get a cat commercial? I think after an hour of trying to explain it to you, he just goes like, I'm just going to get security to escort you out. <laughs> I'm done trying. Just take him outside and beat him up. Hush is there shaking his head at you going, dude, just take it with pride. <laughs> I'm not with him. Just so you guys know. But yeah, so that's cool. You can go out and film stuff. Just film anything. You never know. And you probably earn a lot more money than you would make in an actual film. <laughs> just filming stock footage. That's that. For, uh, I don't know. I'm learning to make films still. I'll, I'll learn to make money after that. Okay. It's like with podcasting. We're learning to do a podcast. The learning to make money comes later. Phase one, collect underpants. <laughs> do you need a cat? Because I could be the cat. I do a good cat. I've heard that. Meow. So what have they got here? Can I jump us all the way down? Let's go all the way down. All the early film stuff is boring. Let's just talk. That's the one thing that I hate about film stuff is they always go like back in like the 60s. I'm like, no, screw it. Talk about now. Okay. Um, there is something I want to check out. But first, I want to say the one thing I know about early film, and that is the first thing spoken on film, the first talkie, the first thing ever said was, you ain't heard nothing yet. That's actually kind of clever. It is. It's, I think Al Jolston was the guy because the first thing they put on a sound one was a guy recording like music and in between the music, he talked. So I think there was like singing and there was a band playing, but in between it, one of his classic phrases that he actually would just say all the time, like when he performed live, he'd finish the song and he'd go, you ain't seen nothing yet, kids. Then they filmed him. They just recorded 
recorded him doing a set. So the first thing said on the first talkie movie was, you ain't heard nothing yet. And like, isn't that just nice? That is cool. That is a really good line. So let's not check the validity of that. Let's just No, no, I, I like leaving that as a myth. Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it's true. That's the wiki review guarantee. I will not check it on the podcast, but I may double check that before I mention it in film school. <laughs> yes. Yeah. They might just be like, what the hell are you talking about, Ben? And I'm like, bloody garf. And then they quote it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I know what I'm doing the rest of this episode. I'm just going to put in some fake facts You're just going to give me like a bunch of fake trivia to mention in film school. Okay, so that's all I know about old film. But I want to go to where it says fan film under 7. 7.5 fan film. Doesn't that interest you? Fan film is kind of a cool idea. It's even got its own Wikipedia page. A fan film is a film or video inspired by a film, television program, comic book, or similar source created by fans rather than the source's copyright holders or creators. So yeah, fan fiction, but they're actually making the movie. And for some reason, no one's going to talk about copyright. <laughs> I mean, technically, they're not allowed to make money. And that's pretty much the distinction, isn't it? I know there was a problem at one stage where there was a Power Rangers fan film that talked about the Power Rangers like coming back together, like oh. the originals, like the new Power Rangers had been like killed off by the bad guy. Wow. And so they're just like, we need to go back to the original Power Rangers to come and do it. And they're now adults and moved on with their life. And apparently <laughs> it was like really well written, really well structured and was so good that like it got this massive following of its own. Was it uh, written or was it filmed? It was filmed. Oh, wow. And it was a short movie. I think it only went for like 40 minutes. And it was just this interesting fan take of like what are the original Power Rangers that we grew up with had to come back. But at the same time, the studio, I think Universal, who owns Power Rangers, was working on a Power Rangers reboot movie. <laughs> and they're just like, oh shit, this one's actually really good. And ours is nowhere near as good as this. So they kept trying to squash it. Oh, wow. Because we can't get good stuff out there. Because he went and made an amazing film based on mm. us. And we're making a Power Rangers movie. And you know what that is. So we need to squash any form of like outgoing good creativity because that's not what we're about. We are a marketing team. We're trying to sell like action toys. <laughs> so it is in this day and age of internet. Yes, there are copyright issues, but there's this whole try and stop me attitude mm. of like, you can make anything you want and put it out there because it's up to the studio to decide whether it's worth pressing legal action against you. Because I have become aware as you delve into the internet that everything, everything has got a fan fiction where someone has sex with that person or thing. Oh yeah, there's a porn version of everything. Isn't that like rule 42 of the internet or rule 43? Yeah, yeah, rule 30 something. It's a rule some number. But that's that's actual porn, like video. I'm talking about like someone's written a story where they have sex with Mario. Oh, erotic fan fiction. That's what I'm talking about. Thank yeah. you. I'm, I'm glad you knew the title. Like everything. And not just everything, but every crossover. Sonic and Mario, somewhere on paper on the internet, have got it on. I have always assumed that we have not made it until someone has written erotic fan fiction about Wiki Review. Oh, uh, <laughs> what do they call it? Uh, Yaku? Uh, Yaoi. Because if it's the two of us, because, yeah. <laughs> Some girl would Yaoi. Us. It'd be funny to get your reaction to that. You know, as soon as I found out it exists, I would bring it on the podcast. Wouldn't the first thing you'd do is you'd flip through to find out who's on top? <laughs> <laughs> As long as I'm the dude in this situation. It turns out we're both just, I don't know, taken by Hush. <laughs> Hush is the man. Well, I've always assumed the greatest comedy angle with that is if we found out that existed, we would have to do a reading of it on the podcast. Oh, absolutely. If someone wrote any wiki review fan fiction. It doesn't even have to be erotic. Just any wiki review fan fiction. Yeah. We would definitely read it on the podcast. I mean, Ben technically does that with the Christmas episodes to me and I read them. That's wiki review fan fiction. That's all that is, the Christmas episode. <laughs> it's not 
not fan fiction if the guys doing it wrote it. That's, hey, I'm our biggest fan. That's the saddest fan fiction story I've ever heard. Like, fan fiction is generally considered a sad thing, but that's, like, way sadder than anything. You're writing fan fiction about your own podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that they actually made movies. Like, I could imagine that people would be like, I'm amazed that Wikipedia has the whole thing on the page. That's amazing. It has its own page. It has its own page here because I'm trying to see if there's legality. There we go. Due to copyright protection, trademark protection, and limited fair use provision, fan films made without official or authorization might exist a in a legal gray area. Still, fan films often operate under the radar or IP owners turning a blind eye as long as there are non-commercial activities. So yeah, which is pretty exactly. much what I said before. Which verbatim, is, yes. Yeah, it's just if they can be bothered suing you. Like for example, we got in touch with Tolkien Enterprises and reached out standing with them that as long as we are completely non-profit they're okay for the hunt for Gollum because you know there's a lot of Lord of the Rings fan fiction yeah and as if they're going to run around and sue everyone who writes fan fiction Mm. and also because it is those are the people who bought your thing Mm. and if someone writes fan fiction you know they bought all your toys you know they bought the cereal box you know that they have an unopened Wheaties box with your hobbits on it well that's actually an interesting idea like what if something we did someone wrote fan fiction for and we got the script and we read it and we're like wow this is actually pretty good yeah we like this is way better than the direction that we were going to take it in that's more likely than not actually <laughs> do you think people get hired as writers that way i don't know i have heard that if you want to get into screenplay writing you write a screenplay of something that already exists like the simpsons is the obvious example so it's something that people recognize and already know because mm. then they can see that you can do that and that is technically writing fan fiction non-for-profit you're not actually making it you're writing it to show that you can write things. If you had to do fan fiction for something, what would you do fan fiction for? Oh, uh, I would love to do it for Fallout would be good because that's endless. You could do any kind. That's post-apocalyptic. That's fun. That's a great video game. I could totally see myself writing some uh, like Warcraft or Lord of the Rings. That stuff all falls into the same thing as far as I'm concerned. Lord of the Rings, I probably couldn't follow the canon. Like I would probably write something that like orcs would never do that. I'm like, I don't give a shit. Like it would be scrutinized by anyone who reads it. They go, that's not how it works because anyone who's going to read Lord of the Rings fan fiction has read all the Lord of the Rings stuff and actually knows it. I have to Google the names of the people in it. <laughs> you <laughs> like know, you misspelled Frodo. And you constantly referred to Legolas as Orlando Bloom for like <laughs> the entire way through. And then, and then Fredo said, hey, Orlando. <laughs> then the wizard dude, the good wizard, not the bad wizard that looks the same as him you know like after they both went grey but they were called white even though they had grey hair this is my whole show this is the whole book that I'd write people would like have strokes trying to read it (laughs) Uh, instead of Gandalf you have Dumbledore Uh, what would you write I don't know I was just trying to think of that because Simpsons is a good one because I feel I know a lot about the Simpsons because the shows that I like like Rick and Morty would be a good one as well but at the same time I don't want to compete against those episodes (laughs) you want to show the show that I write I want to be good but not too good. I feel that because fan fiction kind of needs to go in a certain place. Like if it is The Simpsons 
or Rick and Morty, when you say it, you think, well, because they're still going for starters and they're constantly doing different episodes where they go and do different things. So you could write fan fiction that one day they just end up doing anyways without any knowledge of you. If something, like if a movie came out, it, that's it, it's done. And then you go, well, what else could those characters do? Ninja Turtles. Oh yeah. I would write a Ninja Turtles one. Yes, that needs to be done. Because there isn't anything great Ninja Turtles out recently that I'm competing against, but I'm very familiar with the canon. And I think it is an interesting premise. We understand all the characters and that's it. You have to know the characters and be able to play with them. I think a big Lebowski fan fiction needs to be done. That's just a character that's several characters that are too good to throw away. I remember when I first saw that movie, I thought it was just some nothing movie that nobody really knew. Like I thought it was obscure. Yeah, because it looks It looks so like it's obscure and indie. And I was like, this is actually pretty good, but nobody's really going to watch this. (laughs) And then it turns out, no, everybody watched that. (laughs) Everybody's seen The Big Lebowski. Uh, Oh, that was a good movie. It was a good movie. Jeff Bridges? Yes. I, I always get his name mixed up, but he's good in everything he does. And John Goodman as well. And Steve Buscemi. Yeah, see, no wonder that movie worked. That's how a good you, cast. How can you fail? All three of them are good in everything. That is a funny thing where they talk about how that was a simple movie, but it had like a really good cast. Mm. So it's just like, well, of course it was a good movie then. Like you can make a simple movie if your cast is that good. Exactly. Because I know that like one thing that comes up a lot is Jaws. Everyone looks at that as a fantastic movie that didn't really show the shark too much. Yes. Which is absolutely true about the movie that they managed to create that suspense without actually having to show the monster. That was all the it, suspense, yeah. Yeah, all it took was having a flawless cast, probably one of the world's greatest directors and one of the best soundtracks ever written. Yeah. And then you can make a movie with little special effects. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, okay. I'd rather just have a CGI monster because I'm not as good as those people. I can't do any of those things. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're like, okay, a really good cast. All right, well, what else do I, what else can I do? What's another option? Great soundtrack. Keep going. Film it really well. You know what? Let's, let's get the CGI in there. Let's do that. Because they, they had John Williams, who was like great musician. He did like Star Wars and Jurassic Park, yep. like everything. Yep, the top guy. He is the top. Yeah. And like acting wise, it, it's known for being one of the most well cast movies. Like every mm. character looks exactly who they are. Yeah, top notch. Yeah. And performs well. So it was just like on all bases. And Steven Spielberg. Mm, exactly. He's like one of the few directors whose names people actually know. Because yeah. you probably know like three or four. Quentin Tarantino's a director, right? Yeah, people know him. Uh, you would know of like Wes Michael- Anderson. Wes Anderson. So you get into those ones where you're like, I know the name, but I have no idea what they look like. If I saw a photo of him, I wouldn't know. Unrecognizable. Yeah. Like you would know Quentin Tarantino if you just saw a photo of him. He was in the movies though, so that he could do that. Yeah. Whereas Steven Spielberg, not in the films, mm. but you know what he looks like. Yeah, I know what he looks like. You could recognize him. George Lucas. Those two are like the only ones <laughs> that are not on the films. Cause you could say Ron Howard or something like that, but. Oh, that's true. Yeah. He's but good... I didn't even, like, you wouldn't even know as a director if you didn't see him on Happy Days that much. That's the only reason you know what he looks like. That's the only reason you know he exists. Yeah, every time I see him, though, I'm just like, wow, Richard Cunningham got old. Yeah, that happened. But he is old. He's, like, really old. That's okay. He's allowed to be old. I do remember on Happy Days, they actually had an episode where the entire plot of the episode was how much Ron Howard looked like Howdy Doody. I remember that one! Because there was a Howdy Doody lookalike contest, and he won it. And it's just like, oh my god, that's hysterical. He does look like Howdy Doody. And it is odd when you see someone who, because they were cast as a child, or a young adult or a teenager high school kid in his case and now they're old I just saw today Charlie from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory like now oh my god what does he look like now Grandpa Joe <laughs> 
that's how nature works. That's yeah. fine. But it's a surprise. It's shocking to look at. You go, wow. I mean, he would have been old when we saw that movie. Because yeah. that movie was made ages ago. Like, I want to say the 60s, but maybe the 70s. Because yeah. Gene, Gene Wilder's in it. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah, I guess it just falls into the category of movies that I have always known existed. It was made before us, and therefore it may as well be as old as rocks. And plus, you would have seen it for the first time when you were, like, really young. So you saw it before you remember seeing it? Yeah, so it's a movie that you would have always just no one existed because when you saw it for the first time you were probably three and you don't remember Backpack Young and because of the type of movie and who it's aimed at you'd assume that Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is as old as Wizard of Oz they it, kind of have a similar aesthetic yeah but that's like 20-30 years difference easy there are some weird things in kids movies from back then like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is a good example where there's a scene on the boat where Willy Wonka starts like screaming at the kids while like pictures of like dead rats and stuff yeah and this is like this is a kid movie do you think you'd put that in a kids movie these days no things are different now but as a kid i don't remember that ever standing out to me i think things have changed because they used to have terrifying things and like even mary poppins had like you know like scary scenes where you're like wow they're just hanging out with like well homeless people it was scary and stuff but these days like it's more an emotional screw up because we had like bambi that was messed up but now they have up yeah have you seen up yeah what the hell yeah that's the thing i thought like in the first five minutes you're like what the hell pixar you're walking in you're like oh this is going to be a nice movie. Punch you in the face. Why would you do that? And I think it's devastating because there is no way on the planet you were expecting that. Yeah. You were expecting a light movie. You thought, if anything, there'd be a comical bit with a bird that fell over. Where's the chicken from Moana when you need it? <laughs> I know. But that's what kids are now dealing with. I think they've realized that you don't have to be psychological. You can still torture them with just emotion. You know what worked? Bambi. That's what they're going for there. Remember when Mufasa died? If we can make it like more human and more severe and more intense, that's what kids movies are now I always wonder how that goes in the pitch meeting like if you were pitching up and you're just like alright so at the start of the movie we're just going to make it completely heartbreaking we're going to watch a montage of these people's lives going downhill they're not able to conceive kids all their dreams they never get achieved and then she dies and then we'll start the movie what? What? <laughs> and then this fat kid who uh, not sure on his ethnicity uh, we're not sure about it but he rocks up and then he releases these balloons that apparently he had prepared the whole time but it's only when the child came along that he decided it was time to release them to celebrate as it were which he never did with his wife for some reason that's a horrible horrible thought it's a very sad movie but strangely probably one of Pixar's best because of that if you throw hardcore emotions at people like to the point that it just blows out your circuits you can't even handle it then that's how you make something good have you seen Inside Out the one about the emotions yes yeah with the imaginary friend how it like dies at the end and fades in so the girl will never remember him again. Wait, and it's just like... I think I'm thinking of something else. Amy Poehler played Joy. It was all the emotions yeah. were personified. There was an imaginary... Yeah, friend. when they start going through, they meet Binky, the imaginary <gasps> friend. Oh, yes, yes, I do remember now. Sorry, because I thought it was like the girl on the outside, but you're talking about inside. Yes. But when Joy memories. falls into like the forgotten zone, he sacrifices himself so she can get out. Yes. But it means that the little girl will never remember the imaginary friend ever again. And it's- it was kind of a weird plot where everything was sort of symbolic of just stuff that happens naturally. There's a style to do things because she has like the thing that's the real heart-wrenching moment is like she missed a shot or lost a game or something. And it really brings you in and they know how to do that with the sound and the film where like you could honestly cry from watching that. That's not a wife dying. That's a little girl didn't win a game. The other team won. Someone has to lose. Get over yourself. But then what got me about that one, what really ticked me off is they made the point that the only reason she was sad is because then her friends went and made her happy because what she really 
really remembered was being cheered up after losing the game or her friends came and it was a happy moment after a sad moment. I remember being sad. No one ever tried to cheer me up. I spent my whole life being miserable. No one gave a crap. Oh, look at this poor girl. I don't give a crap about this girl. She gets all the help in the world. I'm over here. You know what I learned? I learned tears get you teased. Okay, if I cry, everyone will be like, look at this prick. Nobody likes you. Hey, why don't you get out of here, sissy? Then they throw rocks at me. I like the idea of you watching Inside Out and then that scene comes up and you just call me up and go, why don't you cheer me up, you douchebag? I'm sad sometimes. <laughs> you're robbing me. <laughs> you just hang up and I'm just like, what the hell was that? Yeah, you're in bed. It's like the middle of the night. Shannon rolls over. Who is that? I, I think it was Garth. I don't know. Someone's abusing me. I think he's watching Inside Out again. <laughs> <laughs> this happens every Saturday. <laughs> All right. Well, let's look at the contents. What else is here? You've got film criticism. This is people, or well, obviously, who criticize film. Sometimes referred to as a critic. I don't know. There used to be a lot of big film critics in the day. I always think of that Roger and Ebert. Yep. Thumbs up, thumbs down, guys. I Although always... it says here, Roger Ebert. Is Roger Ebert just one of the guys? Who's the other guy? Yeah. I always thought it was Roger and Ebert, not Roger Ebert. Uh, it's Roger Ebert and someone else, I think. I'm assuming the other guy is mentioned on his page. He has to be mentioned somewhere. I mean, Roger uh, Ebert is dead, apparently. What? He's been dead since 2013. Oh, no. Rest in peace. Everybody really up. liked him. Except the ones he gave thumbs down to. I wonder if his uh, tombstone has two thumbs up on it. That's weird. You can't find, like... Yeah, because honestly... How far down is the other guy? He's got to be on the page. I don't think there is another guy. Is I think Siskel or something? I always heard Roger and Ebert, and you just assume... Yeah, Gene Siskel. I was right with Siskel. Really? That sounds right. Ebert and Siskel. All right, good for them. Yeah. All right, so that was a real thing. That's nice. No, but who the hell knows who he is? Oh, yeah, he was... died in 1999. That's not... That's they're not both nice. dead. So now that they're dead, who are the film critics left? Well, there's that um, pomegranate woman. Pomegranate? Yeah, the yeah the Aussie chick, you know, from the Australian critic show. Everyone, she's the only critic in this country that everyone knows. I call her Except pomegranate. Me. What? Except me, apparently. Yeah, you should probably get to know these people. Yeah, and I'm the film student. Yeah. She's a little lady. She was on, you remember the movie show? There was a guy and a girl on the movie show and occasionally one of them would walk off because the other one pissed the other one off so much. It was an ABC show. Oh, really? That sounds like it would have been awesome. I missed this. It was hilarious because everyone loved Pomegranate. Her last name's like Pomeritz or something like that. Margaret Pomeritz, I think. But I call her Pomegranate because it's like, a like, that's what it sounds like. So she's like kind of cool and she's sort of really likable person. And she looks like, like a little munchkin kind of person, little elf. And the guy was kind of a stuck up he was a bit more lanky and a bit more pompous so he'd have his oh a film should be kind of like this and she'd go no if it's a car chase film it should be about car chases you don't need to have Shakespeare and car chases and they would just get on it grind each other's gears so bad is that how they reviewed Fast and the Furious pretty much like he'd go it's trash it's absolute trash and she'd go well if you're looking for a car chase movie then this is what you want to look at and now she's on Foxtel and he's gone nowhere yeah no one knows where he is because I think everyone went like they worked well together it was interesting to watch but at the end of it everyone went oh we like her we don't like him <laughs> so she went on to do stuff in uh, Foxtel and she would do Pomegranate's film recommendations and I forget it's like on the classic cinema uh, channel and every Saturday night she'd recommend a film and I would watch a film just because she suggested it oh really like it would be a, sh- a movie and this is where I got to see good movies where I'd go normally yeah you read the description you go I am 
not watching that. That is not <laughs> something I'm going to enjoy. You know, like the amount of movies you've just said no to just based on the description, like an autistic woman. <laughs> and you go, I'm out. But because Pomegranate do like a five minute thing beforehand and go, no, seriously, I know what you're thinking. Actually watch this. All right, I'm trusting you, Pommies. I'm going to see the autistic woman movie. And then you watch it and you're like, oh my God, I love this movie about an autistic woman. This is great. <laughs> so yeah, that's the Australian critic. Yeah, because I was thinking in my head then, like, because I've seen some that are on the internet, but I don't know if it counts as critics. Because have you seen YouTube channel Cinema Sense? No. What they do is they take a movie and they tell you everything that that movie's done wrong from like plot consistencies to errors and how the logic could have been better. Why doesn't this character do this instead of that? And all the cliches they hit. And they get a, a sin count by the end of it. That is critiquing it, yes. That counts. But you see, I wouldn't watch that until after I've already seen the movie. Because yes. a lot of them spoil the movie. That's why I never liked reviews. Yeah, it's not a recommendation saying if you'd like the film. It's just, ha, 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 ha. Look at all the errors they made. Look, <laughs> there's a wristwatch. Because there are a few like that. Like, there's honest trailers. They do the same thing where they yes. basically tell you what's wrong with a movie. But that's done in, like, a funny way. Is this one done in a funny way or are they just, like... No, it's done in a satiric way. Oh, good, good, good. They all sort of fall hand in hand. After I watch a movie, there are four that I have to watch. What? I go and watch Honest Trailers, Cinema Sense, another one called How It Should Have Ended, yep. where it's an animated one where they redo the ending and just... They're all basically change. just uh, inside jokes for people who have seen something. And then the one that has become my favourite, which is uh, Pitch Meeting. Ah, uh, yes, that is by good. a guy called Ryan George. I love that one. That is a great premise, and I'm bitter that I didn't think of it first. No problem. Barely even an inconvenience. <laughs> That's the one. That's all I know about it. <laughs> um, for the nitpicking nerds who are sort of bugged by that, it's super easy, barely an inconvenience. Yeah, I've seen like two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But there is part of me that like when you're off by a quote by like two words, I always wonder is there someone like screaming at their podcast, the quote's this, Garth. Well then message in, contact us and tell me that I'm a douchebag. Yeah, that's it. Anything that we misquote, write in and tell us and we'll deliberately misquote things to see if you can spot it. That's it's like right. a game. I did that on purpose. <laughs> I won the first round. Now it's up to you, the listeners, to find we, the future ones. We've given you the example. <laughs> so yeah, tune in or I'll be back soon. But yeah, with those four shows, I either watch it if I've already seen the movie or I know there's no way on earth I'm ever going to watch the movie. Okay. Like I'll watch the one that they do for Twilight because I know I'm never going to watch Twilight. Million years over, I will never watch that movie ever. But you are up for someone to make fun of it. Exactly. And they're <laughs> the movies that it's best for them to point out the flaws because I find it the funniest. That's like good. That's why I didn't watch this piece of crap. Right, so you have watched Critics, but I don't know who the big American one is anymore. I mean, the last film critic I remember following was John Lovitz. Ah, the the critic. I did want to bring this up. Jay Sherman. I was waiting for you to get that call. It was part of me that was just watching you and just waiting for that to take over. I'm like, ah, the critic. Because <laughs> I've been sitting here patiently going, I'm going to bring up the critic very soon. And then you said John Lovitz. I'm like, John Lovitz. Uh, oh my God, it's happening. It stinks, was one of the lines. I was trying to talk to somebody about John Lovitz recently. And they were saying, I have no idea who that is. What were they in? I tried Saturday Night Live. Yes. They didn't know him from that. Well, that because was... that, that's a big cast though. Like when you say they were on Saturday Night Live, it's like half of the people in comedy in America was on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, you have to pick a very specific period. Yeah. And like, I think he was part of the first cast. No, 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 no. He was like in the, what I call the golden age. <laughs> he was around like Adam Sandler, David Spade times. Okay. Was he? I thought he was before that. No, no. He was on with them. Okay. Because I think Chris Rock was on at the same time as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's why I say it was the golden age, even though some people would say that John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd was the golden age. <laughs> 
and some might say the Will Ferrell uh, reboot was the golden age. But it was Adam Sandler, uh, yeah, Chris Rock, John Lovitz. In fact, no, I remember a specific sketch that he was in with Adam Sandler because they had Sharon Stone or some, yeah, the hot actress at the time. Yeah, and Sharon Stone would have been around that time. Yeah, and there's a bunch of guys in a bar going, oh, go talk to her. And so they each took it in turns going up to try and hit on this Sharon Stone. And once they get there, they get nervous. So, you know, Adam Sandler does his... <laughs> yeah, which is how he got famous. That's his thing. That's a good Adam Sandler, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and every single time, like, she's trying to be polite but then they completely stuff up like that and then Adam Sandler after going hey, bah, bah, walks back to his mates and goes I don't know man there's no talking to her she's a bitch <laughs> and then John Lovitz looking like John Lovitz walks up to him and goes hey baby did I happen to mention I have a penis <laughs> and then she goes hey, bah, bah, hey, bah, bah, bah. and then he turns to them and goes it's all in the delivery boys <laughs> so I can confirm Adam Sandler and John Lovitz were on at the same time there we go we've got that rounded up much okay. quicker than just googling it yeah, totally. <laughs> Not as fun, though. Did you tell them High School High? No, I didn't. Is that famous enough, though? I mean, I love that movie. I think... How old is this person? Like, our age? Because yeah. I think that's what we're falling into. If someone's our age, they should know John Lovitz. They should know High School High. How could you not know High School High? That's true. I'll try High School High. Okay, because... Is there a second one? Is it, was High School High, like, the peak of his career? Because... Is I, that the best movie he's in? I jumped to it, and as I'm saying it, I was thinking, I'm like, what else did he do? Rat Race, we established. Rat Race, yes. But that's who wasn't in there were so many people in Rat Race that's like it's not his movie High School High was his movie what did else? he play a character in an Adam Sandler movie at some time I, I feel that he would have can we google this we know we want to know this yeah let, let's look up John Lovett's IMDB to find out what's the definitive thing so people will know who John Lovett's is because High School High was a defining movie of that time just because it was a funny funny movie hello handsome and he was on The Simpsons a bunch of different times doing well that's the thing these most famous roles he was a voice actor which really doesn't help you like go this guy he was, oh yeah bench warmers but that's like a David Spade and yeah David Spade and uh, Rob Schneider movie which... yeah and he was only like a brief part in that and it had John Heater oh yeah that Napoleon guy. Dynamite there you go because he went on to do other stuff other than Blaze of Glory he was in a league of their own was he who was he in a league of their own he was like a scout oh yeah so he played a, a few small parts and he was in Loaded Weapons yeah not Lethal Weapon the parody Loaded Weapon by National, National Lampoon. Lampoon are they still a thing yes I believe they are. What was the last movie they did? Something horrible. <laughs> historical roasts. That's a thing. Oh, I've seen historical roasts. That's actually kind of funny. It's by oh, what's the guy who does the Comedy Central roasts? Uh, the Roastmaster General Ross. Something Ross. Yeah, Jeffrey Ross. Jeff Ross. Jeff Ross. There we are. We got there. Yeah, because roasting is literally the only thing he knows how to do in this world. Yes. He set up like the historical roasts, which is basically that same show but done with celebrities dressed as historical figures. So that now we're just making fun of people throughout time. Yeah. Yes, but and they did have the most genius casting for Hitler I have ever seen in my life. Gilbert Godfrey. <gasps> Not only has he got the voice and the funny look, he's about as Jewish as you can get. Hello, I'm Hitler. And Sing hail. He loved playing Hitler. You could see him enjoying it. Because <laughs> the more he acts like him, the more of a disgrace it is to anyone who is like of that supremacy like notion. The girl who was playing Anne Frank in the historical roast, she actually had probably one of the best jokes of the night, which is where she went to Hitler and went, look, Hitler, you may think that you're all top and everything, but right now you are being played by a Jew. And not only a Jew, 
it is the loudest and most annoying Jew <laughs> we could find. <laughs> <laughs> and he almost fell out of his chair laughing at that because he sees the point of that of like him playing Hitler is Hitler's ultimate humiliation. humiliation. Yeah, you're right. Like, because Mel Brooks did a Hitler, didn't he? Yes, he and did. He did it very, like, I want to say campy because yes. Mel Brooks is a lot more show glitz and glam, like, hi. Whereas Gilbert Godfrey, I have a plan. Because I think he's like, sorry, my mind is elsewhere. I think I left the oven on at home. Oh, <laughs> God. Uh, uh, he's like, I warn you, some of these jokes are so dirty that afterwards you're going to want to have a shower. Jesus. <laughs> it's like, wow, he's leaning into this hard. He's hitting it hard because well, that's, that's his style. That's but what he's he does. Jewish, so it, yeah, it goes it's over okay. well. <laughs> he's allowed to. He has the license. <laughs> he's allowed to do Auschwitz jokes. Oh, good on him. That's really great. So uh, we've settled that John Lovitz is a comedy legend who's really done nothing worthwhile. Yeah, pretty much. But one of the greatest comedians ever. Taught you about prairie dogging. Yeah, exactly. See, that sits in your mind now. You remember that now. <laughs> I will remember that forever. Thank you, Thanks John Lovitz. You. <laughs> well, I heard it from you. Yeah, but now you remember it because you have John Lovitz in your head. Prairie dogging, what's that? <laughs> Ew. And if you haven't listened to the previous episodes and don't know what prairie dogging is, wow, you are really lucky at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's not pleasant. Uh, it's a great thing. It'll change your life. Check it out. <laughs> no, he's great because he lived the character that he basically played everywhere. My favorite John Lovitz story was by Conan O'Brien, who said that like when he went out to a place like a restaurant, there's John Lovitz. He's got a beautiful woman with him. He's got his arm around the beautiful woman and Conan comes up. He's like, hey, John. He leans over the beautiful woman and goes, jealous. <laughs> <laughs> That's so John Lovitz. Like right in front of her. Because he knows what he looks like. And that's the whole thing. He's a gross guy who's just overly confident for no apparent reason. And that's his shtick. And it's hilarious. Well, one of his greatest characters that he ever did on Saturday Night Live was the liar, Tommy uh, Finagle. Yeah, that's the ticket. And there was just someone who was just constantly talking bullshit. He's like, I'm Dr. Senator Tony Finagle. Yeah, that's the ticket. Right, Senator. Yeah. <laughs> Which when you say something like that, like you go, I'm a doctor. Yeah, that's the ticket. You're just saying you're lying to them. Which was great in a performance to be able to have a character that says something as the audience, you just like everything he's saying is a lie. Mm. And for you to just understand that just in his delivery. Just because it's such an obvious lie, but he delivers it so confidently that he's willing to tell the person that he's lying to that it's a lie and he doesn't care. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah, so that's John Lovitz. Yeah, so I'll, I'll just play that entire part of the podcast for him. Okay, so there you go. Uh, yeah, in short, if you there's nothing we can really point to. But I bet if you showed him a picture, they'd be like, oh yeah, him. That's probably the quickest way. It's a face you know. No one really knows John Lovitz. They just know the face. And then if you pointed out voices he did, because he's done a lot of voices. Well, Simpsons, he was several different characters. He was an art teacher. He was Artie Ziff. He did yeah. uh, the play. Yeah, he did the play. He was the play director. Jay Sherman actually showed up. Jay Sherman actually showed up. I mean, that's like four characters that have appeared on The Simpsons. Yeah. I remember there was all of them appeared in a bar at one stage. At most yes. one time. He walked in, they're all in there. Yeah. Well, it's a beautiful group. <laughs> oh yeah, so that sorts out that problem. I hope we've been helpful as far as anyone who didn't know what John Lovitz is. And so that's film criticism, I guess? <laughs> I guess, yeah. We've talked about the critic. <laughs> it's just like, let's just talk about John Lovitz for 20 minutes and that's film criticism. <laughs> oh, I just had a thought. I want to know this. Okay, the critic had the child on it. I have a suspicion that, can we look up who did the child's voice in the critic because I think it might be
be this woman who I watch her TV show now. I mean, a lot of kids on television are voiced by women. So yes. It's logical. Because it sounds like Bobby Hill, who she does the voice for, but it might also be an actual kid. I don't know. Our King of the Hill is an, also another good show. Uh, isn't it? Speaking of losing 20 minutes of the podcast, <laughs> I can talk about that. So what was the kid's name? Marty Sherman? Yeah, uh, Christine. Oh, that's not who I was expecting. No, but she also voiced... I mean, you were right with it was a woman. But it's... She did Dexter and Dexter's Laboratory. Did she babe? Did babe? She was, was she the... babe? She was babe. She was! That's cool. And she does the voice of Dexter and Annabelle. Oh my God. I don't God. know who Annabelle is. Is um, Annabelle the sister? I thought the sister's name was DJ or something. Dee Dee, that's right. Dee Dee. Yeah, so, so who's Annabelle? I don't know, some other chick, I guess. I thought it was the sister until you said that. I'm like, no, you're absolutely right. I have failed you, master. Oh my God. And Rugrats, Chucky. She was Chucky. Oh my God, this woman is like one of the most famous voice actors. I thought I recognized the name, but when it comes to voice acting, you sort of go, who? The thing I always think of with Dexter's laboratory, though, is, you know the show Dexter? Yes. About the serial killer who kills... Very different show. Yeah, I actually had a friend when that came out, before I even knew Dexter was a thing, like, oh my God, have you heard of the show Dexter? And my mind just went, Dexter's laboratory? I'm like, yeah, I've heard of it. He's like, it is so good, man. You have got to see it. I'm just like, really? It kind of looks like a kid's show to me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I watched that when I was a kid. What, have they brought it back or something? Are you watching it for the first time? Because when you're saying that now, I'm like, yeah, I I would have been like, yeah, I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, you know what? Good for you. If you enjoy Dexter's Laboratory, I had my time enjoying it. Now it is your time. Hey, what do you think of Dee Dee? (laughs) Who? You said you've seen Dexter, right? Actually, that same friend gave me a bunch of episodes on a USB stick. And very quickly, I realized this is not Dexter's Laboratory. He's not inventing anything crazy at all. And I'll tell you what, that Dexter, you don't want to see his laboratory. So every time I see Dexter's Laboratory, I always think of that now. Yeah, that's something that when the kids are like, oh, I want to watch a cartoon. Well, just Google your Dexter. Oh, that's that's not what we're looking for. Here's an obscure voice that she did. She did Birdie in The Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald. Oh. Do you know Birdie? Yeah. The, he used the... to appear in Happy Meals when we were a kid. Yeah, has a little pilot's uh, helmet and goggles. Yeah, do they still have those mascots anymore? Because I don't see Ronald McDonald around as much. Ronald McDonald shows up every now and again, but he used to roll with the gang. He used to be very prolific on everything, and now I don't really see him. they got that little smiley like box on the Happy Meals now instead of Ronald McDonald. You're right, there is like a slight clown nose on it, but yeah, no, they've really pulled it back. They want to look more like a cafe now. And they don't have that bench anymore where you can sit next to Ronald McDonald. Do you remember those? Yeah, which always reminded me, every time I looked at it, I'm like, so what, two people can't sit there? <laughs> You're willing to forego a whole seat just so that people can have that horrible clown thing. I suppose it's about time, because clowns at the best of time don't have the best reputation. No, it kind of crushed all of that. I think clowns everywhere hate Stephen King. I think clowns did that before it. The reason it exists is because of clowns. <laughs> it exists because clowns are scary. Clowns aren't scary because of it. Exactly. That was written after the fact. Because look who are clowns. Look at the people, the lives they live. It's just horrible. Well, maybe John Wayne Gacy. He was a clown and he was a serial killer. Maybe that's where it all started. But I mean, in his defense, he kept it separate. I mean, he didn't go kill people as the clown, did he? <laughs> you imagine seeing, seeing in the newspaper like a serial killer and like, hey, that guy did my kid's birthday. <laughs> No, it's about time McDonald's got rid of the clown. So that makes sense. And also, if you're trying to be like, hey, we're not like totally rancid plastic food. Like, mm-hmm. we all know McDonald's is. But they're trying to be like, look, we're a cafe now. Look, we have healthy options. Doesn't help to be sold by a clown. Yeah. Yeah, I do notice that everybody in... Yeah, I do notice that everybody in McDonald's ads is in remarkable shape. To the point that you don't think they ever eat McDonald's. I always try to watch to see if it goes in their mouth. <laughs> and I never see a swallow. 
That's true. You never see a swallow on a McDonald's commercial. You will see a bite at best. Usually they hold the product or they have the product not even next to a person. Because we know this. We've discussed this before. The product that you see isn't edible because it's not even cooked. It's made by a food sculptor. Yeah, and they cost like $30,000 for like a cheeseburger. Yeah, so you're not eating that. So when the people are holding it, that's not a real edible burger. So they couldn't. Maybe they get salmonella poisoning from the bite in. Oh, cut. Oh my God. I think I swallowed some of the juice. It's like a spit bucket inside the actor. Or maybe some of it they freeze. So it stays in the same shape. And yep. so really you'd just be holding like a block of ice in your hand. That's like, it's like a rock. You couldn't bite into it anyway. God. It's probably just like plaster of Paris and yeah, frozen raw meat. Ugh. Yeah. Food for thought. So we have established that, what was her name? Pristine Canoe. No, that's Cavanaugh. Cavanaugh. How would I pronounce that? I'm way off. Cavanaugh. I'm going to say Cavanaugh. Yeah. Oh my God. She's she died in 2014. Oh, and she's dead? Oh, that's like really sad. Wow. It's just like we've learned all about this woman and her death in like one hit. I feel oh. like this has been an emotional roller coaster here. It has. Like, I didn't cry when Babe's mum died, but I'm going to cry now. That's the voice of Babe, and Babe is dead, and she did a lot of other good stuff. And, like, did she was in Jerry Maguire? Who was she in Jerry Maguire? Like, she actually got a role. Uh, Miss Remo. Okay. Okay, that's nice. So, any major fans of Jerry Maguire will know who that is, but I don't, I don't know. That's too obscure a character. If it's not Tom Cruise or Renee Zellweger, I don't know. In fact, we only know that Tom's called Jerry Maguire. What was Renee Zellweger's character's name? Oh, I thought it was Renee Zellweger. Yeah, it just <laughs> it may as well be. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. I only know his name because it's the title of the movie. I was about to say, no one knows Tom Cruise's character's name. Oh, they called it that. And wasn't Cuba Gooding Jr. in it? Yeah. Show me the money. Yeah, was that was his bit, wasn't one it? One of the lines, yeah. And also Jerry O'Connell. He played just a footballer. The thing that I know him most for is he was in a show in the 90s called Sliders. Oh, yeah, I remember him. I freaking love Sliders. That's the one show I would love them to reboot. He was the Sliders. It's basically Quantum Leap. Ooh, I want to change my fan fiction. Sliders. <gasps> yes. Oh, I want to change mine. Quantum Leap. <laughs> <laughs> Since you're on it. I'll write Sliders fan fiction and you can write Quantum Leap and we'll just, they'll work in either show. Uh, what was, was it called The Island? The one, you know, where they're trapped on the island? What was that one called? Lost. Lost. <laughs> <laughs> was it called Island? I don't know. We should both write an episode where the Sliders and the Quantum Leapers end up on Lost. Okay. So they can't leave until they fix whatever the problem is, but it never ends because it's Lost. I don't even think the show writers knew what the problem was in that one. Exactly. That's why it's open season. Anything's possible on that island. Or another show that would be fun to write, and this is going back a fair bit, Fantasy Island. Uh, they tried to reboot that. I do. I remember I watched the reboot as a kid, and that was my first introduction to it. And I'm like, oh, it's really? a good premise. Crappy show, but good premise. I don't know. They got rid of the midget. And then... Yeah, yeah. When I saw like previous one, there was a midget that would go the plane, the plane. And it's like, they're never going to put that in the thing again. Yeah, no, that's that doesn't exist. That guy was a very famous midget. He was well known and he did a lot of great stuff. But midgets like were a gag when we were younger. Like there was mini me from Austin Powers. Like, do you think that they would get away with a mini me in 2020? I think those days are done, yeah. And I'll tell you who ruined it. That Game of Thrones guy. Because I saw a thing. I think he was in inside the actor's studio or something. And he went out of his way to be like, I'm going to be a serious actor. I'm not going to do the bits. And when he got on Game of Thrones, it's all about midget this, midget that. And then he did X-Men Days of the Future Past, where he plays a scientist, a serious scientist, a human scientist who has a problem with mutes because people with genetic differences should not be tolerated, according to this scientist. Mm. And the whole way through the movie, no one says that he's a little person. No one mentions it. There is no inkling. He could have been played by anyone. This character, he was the first little person to get 
a role that was not a little person role. Well done to you. That's great. But it was infuriating for me because I'm sitting there like, he's a midget. Does someone just say it? And the irony that the one non-little person role that a little person got is a guy, and I've got to use my words carefully here, he's complaining about how, well, these these mutants, these X-Men, these people with different abilities and different, like, who are born different to us, we shouldn't, as humans who are not like them, should not tolerate them. But technically, you're more like a... You're, <laughs> you're more like a person who is differently abled. I love when you hit these little rants where you got to, like, pick your words carefully when you get to the end. <laughs> oh, it's a classic Garth bit. <laughs> you all know what I'm trying to say. There is a certain irony to the role that somebody who, you know, is a little person has a problem with someone who has differences in their birth. Like, you don't want to say birth defects because even with the X-Men, it's like they get superpowers. That's not a defect mm. in any way. It's just that they're called mutants, but really, like, they're the next step in, like, evolution. Which also does sort of open up in the X-Men universe of what counts as, like, a mutant and what counts as a normal disabled person. If you're born with, like, one less arm, I think that's a mutant. Because you don't have a, an advantageous power, but you have a... a defect. Yeah, because... As, like, differently able. Like, yeah, you don't have some superpower. The X-Men does neglect how evolution actually works, that sometimes when things are evolving and they have variations, some of those variations can be harmful. Yes, because we've learnt through nuclear power that the mutants that exist in real life, it's all to do with radiation. And none of them have superpowers. Some of them have teeth where they shouldn't have teeth. Like, you know, mm. like knee joints. Uh, some of them are missing things. Some, like, a lot of them have tumours. That's basically what mutation is, is tumours. So imagine you have, like, a tumour and you've got to, like, register as a mutant. Now you're ostracised. You can't get a job, so you can't afford to pay your medical bills. And, and you just have the power of a low white cell blood count or a high yeah. white cell. I don't know. Yeah. One of them's cancer. The bad one. You're uh, going to go to protests while everyone's, like, afraid of you and you're like, look, seriously, all I can do is, like, occasionally get sick. <laughs> I mean, that guy can fly. Yeah. I wish I had the wings. And, like, you'd meet, like, the beast or, like, the thing. I know the thing's not an X-Men, but he's the same thing. He's in that universe. Is he? It counts. Marvel. There you go. See? And you see the rock guy. He's like, oh, you know, I wish I could be like you. You just look like a normal person. And you're like, dude, I get sick. You can break brick walls. Like, screw you. Protest for me. <laughs> I'm just trying to get treatment here. Yeah. Uh, do you know how hard it is to get chemo? So yeah, that's my spiel on why little people aren't allowed in movies anymore doing little people roles, which is sad for if they are trying to get any kind of role. It is limited. It's very hard for little people to get roles. And he just took all the glory. I think I don't like him. Because <laughs> you feel bad for all the other uh, uh, well, people. Because It's because he's not fun. All the others are like really fun. And I have seen him do good roles. He did some like Dungeons and Dragons movie that was actually pretty good. And he does have times where he plays with it, but he's just so serious and he's like I'm a real actor and like he's just destroyed an entire industry for all his brethren who are party little people and they're fun and they know how to have a good time we also have the comedian Anziza Zari you know him Indian sort of guy oh but he okay. refuses to take any Indian roles he oh sorry he yeah. to white roles he's in Parks and Rec is where you probably know him from. sorry I thought you were still talking about little people no. I'm like I know a little person comedian yeah he's fun he's all about the little people jokes it's awesome He did, and that's why 
always famous. But yeah, I know the guy you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. He refuses to take any Indian roles. He will only like audition for roles that white people would audition for, which you can see that in like what he does. But that seems to work for him. He filled a niche, the higher moral ground niche, which, hey, that is great. And it's a great movement and it's very progressive. Not so great for all the other Indians who are just like trying to line up and get into the movies. And they're like, well, actually I do have a culture and I want to support it. I'm not ashamed of where I come from, even though it's uh, written by a bunch of white guys who know Indians only from 7-Eleven. Basically, 7-Eleven, IT, or driving a taxi. That's sort of where the realm of Hollywood puts yep. Indians. And, or some sleazy guy. Or a doctor. Yes, they do get I've doctor. I've seen Indian doctors. But abused doctor? Like the doctor who gets put down, and then he goes, look, I'm just trying to make you feel better, okay? I, I know your diagnosis. I actually went to Harvard. What did you do? Yeah, yeah. So either the straight talker or the guy who drove you to the hospital. And also they got rid of a poo off the Simpsons because... Is he officially gone? He is officially gone. Oh, that's sad. So you will never see an episode with Pooh until the world moves on or changes its views while they figure out how to fix him. I think they're winding down the Simpsons. They've been saying that forever, though. Yeah, but, like, I think, like, people are dying, and you've heard Marge. Her voice is her mother's voice now. Yeah, but even if all the people who voiced The Simpsons died, like, there was a plane crash where they were all on the plane, I think, like, this time tomorrow they could have a bunch of voice actors to replace them. Because every voice actor I know can do an impression of The Simpsons. If you do impressions of anyone, you can do someone from The Simpsons. All right, I suppose um, at this point we should probably uh, take this opportunity, since uh, you are now an expert in filming you I understand expert, yes. you are like you've got a certificate to tell you and everything well you I haven't got the certificate yet I'm halfway to the certificate that's right it's going to take what a whole year but you've got some grades or something you've got a piece of paper that says that you are at least competent so far I am passing yes that's the word I'm looking <laughs> for you're not failing you're passing so maybe you could take us through tell me about film like what year did they get sound I don't know the place I'm doing we haven't actually done a lot of film history which is kind of why I picked it is because I wanted to do something that was more practical Okay, so then um, so everything how I... does film work? How does it actually record onto the film? Well, again, that's sort of like in the how the technology works. I know how to focus something and shoot it. Okay. <laughs> I'm being I a know... dick, but it's on purpose. <clears throat> I got to cut together, do you know the band Imagine Dragons? Oh, yeah. They had a, a film clip that we got the footage for. If you're familiar with their catalogue, it's the song Believer. I'm not familiar, but I would believe that Imagine Dragons would have a song called Believer. I've listened to it like 400 times because I was like editing together the film clip. Oh, that's going to drive me nuts. The only lyrics I remember are Believer, Believer. <laughs> In fact, if there was a band called Believer, I'd believe that they'd have a song called Imagine Dragons. <laughs> that just goes synonymously together. Yeah, so you've been making a film clip for a band. Yeah, so we got all... That was actually kind of cool because you got to have all the different clips of them singing the song and the band performing and you got to like cut it together how you wanted to. So they gave you like all the raw footage from this. Yeah. That's so cool. They had access to it. And to me, when you watch some of the raw footage, it looks weird all as one. Because oh, yeah. there's a bit where he's like dancing around with his shirt off singing the song. <laughs> They've literally got him doing that for the whole song. You could make the film clip just him dancing around with his shirt off doing that. Remember when we first started doing Things You Wouldn't Want to Hear? We have a dancing in Things You Wouldn't yes. Want to Hear, which if anyone who's watched those, you might blink and you might miss it. When we first started, we would dance the entire song each. <laughs> the song that goes for the entire sketch, three people would take it in turns dancing for that length. So this 
this is what you're talking about. We could do the whole thing. That could be the whole show. The Doctor's one is probably going to have the most interesting footage because we were trying to figure out what the show was at that time. Oh, yeah. So we had all these, like, weird angles that we wanted to take and tried filming things. And one was, like, we'll try dancing for the whole song so I can grab it at any point. Yep. And then I think we did one each, but also we did one together where there's two <laughs> yes. of us on screen dancing to the song. I've forgotten the, about that. That's awesome. For the entire song. So we're tired because we've already individually danced this song. So by the end of the song, it is the most half-assed dancing you have ever seen. <laughs> That's where the magic happens. <laughs> I remember, yeah, we filmed a lot of like weird stuff in there where I'm just like, oh, maybe we need to get us like laughing and reacting to stuff. So we actually like turned on the camera and did things where we like pretended to laugh. We did. And yeah, just like little things that looked like we were improving and natural things. But then when I looked back at the footage, I'm like, all of this looks fake as crap. Yeah. <laughs> and what are we going to use this for? There is no point in doing this. Oh, dear. So, yes, you're, you're making a film clip. So, yeah, I got to edit that together, and that was fun. That's cool. So, did you come up with something wildly different? Because you've got the rough footage, which means that they had, like, a schedule and an idea of what they wanted to make the film clip. Did you make something, like, wildly different? I think I made something a bit different because I haven't actually seen the real film clip that it's on. Oh, so you have no idea. That's even better going in blind. Yeah, I just saw all the footage that I had access to. Wouldn't it be hilarious if you got your mark back and the teacher's like, you know you weren't supposed to just recreate the actual <laughs> film clip. And you're like, I never saw it. Sure you didn't, Ben. Like shot for shot, it's the recreation. Honestly, I thought you just downloaded the video clip and then sent me it. You even had that like, you know, MTV, Imagine Dragons, Believer by uh, Columbia Records on it. I did that for legitimacy. I wanted it to look like a film clip. It was weird because the four main takes you had with the lead singer was one with him like dancing where you could only sort of see his silhouette. One where he's sitting down in a chair singing a close-up of his face and then one where he's like close to the camera not wearing a shirt because he recently went to the gym and it looks like he wants to show off his abs hey are there other members in the band uh yes there's two guitarists and a drummer did they show up at all in this they show up in little bits that's hilarious we all know like, who that band is like i used their footage as much as i could and it's like what did they film for five minutes this day like <laughs> listen here axel <laughs> oh that's hilarious it did make me wonder about how like these film clips are sort of directed yeah. With like, it's like the the lead singer's just sitting there in a chair. It's like, we'll just get you singing the song. It's like, do I have to get up? It's like, no, just sit there. Or did it happen backwards? Like when they did uh, Ramon's School of Rock and they're going down the hallway and they've got one of the guys in a wheelbarrow because he took a bunch of drugs and he couldn't walk. So like, just <laughs> film this one with him in a wheelbarrow. <laughs> like, was he in the chair? Cause he's like, oh man, all these drugs I've taken. They're like, just, just sit in the chair then you'll be fine. Did you feel bad for the other guys that you tried to put all the footage? Cause I would feel sympathetic towards the other members just because it's all like this singer, this singer. You're like, well, there's like two minutes of these guys. I'm just going to use all of that and then fill in the rest with the other guy. Yeah, I was trying to take the singer out of it as much as possible. Let's make <laughs> it all about the band. They never get the spotlight. Right? Like, you know, I'd be trying to use the footage, like focus in on the guy on the side, close-ups of like a foot because that's what he's got in the shot. That'd be fun. And you have to sort of work it out all in the timing. Like, is the footage, he's singing it, right? But he'd be lip-syncing it, wouldn't he? Yes, but it all lines up 
for you because Do they, the software's awesome. Oh, that's cool. Mm. So yeah, there's been a lot of things like that, just like little projects where we've given footage or we have to go out and film footage and edit it together. That's awesome. Yeah. All right, so just to finalize on, on that, uh, do you think you're going to go on to make film clips? Well, I know an assignment I was given before the holidays is I was given a song and now I've got to make my like film and make my own film clip. Oh, what's the song? It's an independent song that was given to us. So you would never uh, have heard of the person. Ah, uh, fine. And I've had like one listen to it and I'm just like, I can play you the song after. Oh, cool. Yeah, I had one listen to it and I'm just like, oh, I don't know. There's a point, there's a sound effect in it where there's a gun being cocked and I'm just like, so I need to get a replica gun? I can help you. Replica. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't help you. <laughs> <laughs> you can just make it a toy gun or you just do it like finger guns. <laughs> That's way cooler. You show a finger gun with the actual gun sound, people will be like, right on. I would respect that. That actually might be a good idea because in this context, bringing a gun like onto set, a lot of paperwork. Yeah. I want to do the paperwork. I don't. No, you don't. And Finger guns are awesome. Finger guns mean no paperwork. It may not look as good, but no paperwork. And less people screaming. That was horrible. I don't ever want that to happen again. I wish yeah. people just told me, like, or at least they were sensible about guns. Like, I didn't realize it was loaded and like, I will buy that person a new car obviously when I could afford it and I mean their grandmother was old anyways like she'd had a good life so still overreacting so yeah I'm gonna have to like listen through this song like over and over again and see if like something comes to me all right fair enough yep that sounds like fun that's the great thing about film clips you can just do some random anything just spin a bottle all right well we should probably rate this page okay we're up to that point in the podcast so what did you think after the Wikipedia page for film I feel I need to remind people what Wikipedia page we were filming because I don't know at what point we stopped talking about it yeah. Around I'll, John Lovitz. I don't remember what point we started. Um, <laughs> we started late and finished early. Film. Yeah. <laughs> well, I liked learning about uh, your film school. Yeah. How you're doing some stuff and how you're really smart now. I managed to get through it by mentioning it's going to be all about film school and then mentioning basically nothing about film school. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the John Lovitz. Uh, uh, once again, I feel like you picked another topic where we're just going to talk about movies because we kind of do that anyways. I do like talking about movies. It is, it is. And this was just when I heard film, I went, yeah, that makes sense. So just the normal, yeah, just what we always do, that's what we're doing. How are we going to go off topic if we got to talk about movies? Uh, but I enjoyed it. I'd give it two and a half thumbs up. Uh, because it's an actual rating system. Two and a half thumbs up. I can. It works with my system. Yeah, Roger and Ebert set yeah. that up. Out of a possible hello, handsome. Uh, because that's how I do things. So yeah, I enjoyed it. It was good. What did you think, Ben? Okay. Well, it says that the first motion picture was made in the 1880s. That's as good enough number as any. 1880. And if I was gonna give it out of 1880, I'd give this a 1720. Ooh, that sounds like it's probably an important year too. I it think is. The probably stuff happened in that year. I don't know what. I'm gonna say a plague. Yeah, there was. Definitely a plague in 1720. Don't look it up. Yeah, that sounds right. If not then, then sometime about then. Yeah, and so the movie they show in that first motion picture is that one where there's a moon face that has a rocket slam into it. Yeah, the man on the moon. out of the cannon. Yeah, a trip to the moon. And this was done in 1902. Oh, so that was done like 20 years after the first film. Yeah, and 65 years before anyone ever went into space. Yeah, and obviously because they didn't know how it was actually done because they thought people would be shot out of a cannon. I mean, that was a pretty bad guess in hindsight. I think that's pretty close. There's two ways 
ways to do it, cannon or uh, rocket. And there was a guy actually in the 80s and 90s who was constructing a cannon to shoot satellites into space because it would be a cheaper way to uh, get satellites launched than rockets. Oh, really? A space cannon? Yeah. The only problem was that no one wanted him to do it. The only place he could find that would let him do it and give him funding was Iraq. And used to the sound of loud explosions over there. Also, uh, it creates the problem that, do you want to give Iraq a cannon (laughs) so big that it can launch something to the other side of the planet? And they weren't only a little excited to get it, they were very excited to get it. Very excited. That's some wily coyote (laughs) acme shit right there. When they were talking about weapons of mass destruction, they were probably talking about the biggest cannon ever built. It does sound very wily coyote. (laughs) That's a good poll. All right, so that's, I think it's a pretty good guess. And the only thing they got wrong was that there's like a face in the moon. But you had to know that the moon was displeased about being shot at. Which, I mean, I guess you could have guessed that. As a general rule, people don't like being shot in the face. I mean, in fairness, I've never been shot in the face, so I wouldn't know. Or shot anyone in the face. That's true. Yeah, they don't seem to like it much, from what I can tell. (laughs) The times you've shot someone in the face. Oh, yeah, First they get really angry, and then they get really quiet. Yeah, they never complain afterwards. Yeah, sorry, out of, what was it, 1720 out of 1880? Yeah, that was my rating. That's a pretty good rating. Yeah, yeah, good page. Good page, we're all happy. All right, so what are we up to now? We've got things to plug? That's right, everyone, check out the YouTube channel. We need you to subscribe. We need you to like the stuff. We've got videos coming out every week. Yes, we've got the things you wouldn't want to hear. We've already done doctor, tradie, lawyer, job applicant. Chef romantic. Yeah, chef romantic partner. I don't know, where are we up to? Politician. Politician. I forget the last one. We've done one more since then too. Yeah, just go to the YouTube. Don't listen to us. Go go look at it. Because I remember all the episodes we did. I just don't remember the order we're releasing them in. Yeah, neither do I. I don't know what's happening anymore. But yeah. there are lots to look forward to. Because what else did we have? Well, I know we had like Hop Guru Tour Guide. Shh, it's a secret. Teacher. Nah, nah, podcast people can know. That's true. If you're listening to the podcast, you're privileged. Then when it comes out, you can be like, <laughs> I knew it was going to happen. Oh. No. All right. So the YouTube channel, definitely subscribe to see all those things. What else have we got? We got the Facebook. Find us on Facebook. That's Humidor. Like and follow. As well as the Instagram and Twitter. Do the whatever those versions are on instagram you can email the podcast at wikireviewpodcast at gmail.com or find all of that at humidor.com.au or just check the show notes yeah all of this is in the show notes as always plus a whole bunch of fun stuff that's worth checking out all right so i think that's everything yeah yeah it used to be such a daunting task to say everything we've got going on now we do it we're like is that it we're done (laughs) what is too easy what are we up to like is this like 93 94 yeah we're in the early 90s i think yeah yeah we should know by now 93 i think this is Yeah, if we don't know it by now, we're not going to know it. We should be getting some of this stuff down by now. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, good for us. Progress. Yeah, this is the part where the podcast starts getting good. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's been another episode of Wiki Review. I've been Ben Graw. I've been Garth Remington. And we'll catch you on the next Wiki Review. Find Humidor on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and at humidor.com.au. Theme is I Live for the Bass Drum by DJ Searle. All other music by Matt Graw. Me, me.